This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Hi, Lori. How are you? Hi, Helena. I'm doing great, actually. Thanks for asking. What about yourself? Great. I am excited to talk about our topic today. We're going to be talking about our fabric stashes. So last episode... We accidentally (laughs) committed to a fabric buying fast. Yes, I I think I roped you into that, didn't I? I'm like, why don't we just go on a fast for the rest of the year? And you kind of went, uh, uh, uh. I know. And... But I mean, reflecting on it now, it is the best thing for me. I think it is a really good, a good thing because it's already is getting the wheels turning in a productive way that I needed, like I needed that kick in the pants, Uh, not just that I need to stop buying fabric and, you know, but also just looking at our stash in a different way is really valuable for me. I have things tucked away. I have so much fabric and I have a really big room and it's usually a mess. So then we got ready for PR weekend and we were just at PR weekend and I did a bunch of sewing for that. And then after that was done, I came home and I tidied up my sewing room and it was so nice and and clean, but it also makes me forget what's hidden in the crevices So I think this is going to be really, really good for me. Have you taken another look at your fabric stash since we talked? Yeah. I mean, I think um, I've also taken, not only have I taken a look at the fabric stash, but also just taken a look at kind of my motivation for buying fabric. And um, often I'm just kind of like a magpie. So um, I, of course, subscribe to a lot of sewing-related emails and newsletters from various sources and often they're shilling fabric and so of course I go click and I look and so I'm not actually thinking oh I need a specific type of fabric for this specific purpose I'm just looking and then I see something I'm like gee I probably should buy that and so that can get that can be a really slippery slope if you don't want to end up with giant closets you know overstuffed and um, I saw a funny little meme online where uh, it was a spare bedroom and the quilt of the bed was pulled back to reveal that it was no longer mattresses under there. They were they were plastic <laughs> bins stacked up to look and they were full of, you know, fabric stash. And it was sort of this is how I hide all my new fabric purchases from the rest of my family kind of thing or whatever. So I thought, yeah, if you want to avoid getting to that point, then um yeah, it's important to kind of just reevaluate when and why you buy fabric. And uh, I feel like I have lots in my stash. I should limit myself to that. And it also, you know, enhances your creativity a little bit. We talked about that. When you have parameters on things, uh, mm-hmm. only what's in your stash, well, then you kind mm-hmm. of start getting creative with the pattern you choose or whether you do color blocking, for example, or that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Did you notice, I personally noticed this, because we were on, um, last year we did the Ready to Wear Fast, Mm -hmm. that you, your stash grew quite a bit because we weren't buying clothes. We kind of like refocused over to fabric. Yeah. Yeah. It was the guilt-free purchasing in a store Mm -hmm. (laughs) was fabrics Mm -hmm. instead of clothes. So yeah, Yeah. I definitely, definitely amped up the the stash that year for sure. How about you? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes on that. And shoes. 
<laughs> I bought yes. a lot of shoes. I think you and I both have a bit of a shoe problem. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness that I'm never going on a shoe fast. Never. Never. No. Yes. Let's no, not even go there. That's unreasonable. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, does having a large stash produce anxiety in you or guilt? Or are you one of those people that's just like, no, I love my giant stash? Or do you go back and forth? How does it make you feel? Oh, it definitely produces anxiety and guilt. Um, I feel really guilty when I forget about a piece, like when I'm going through, like I said, through my, my crevices and I find a piece and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was so excited when I found this special piece and I bought it with such glee and then it's just been sitting here and I haven't even given it a second glance because we have... I have a lot of special pieces at this point, right? Mm -hmm, I I mean, not only do I have enough fabric to sew on for several years, but I probably have enough special pieces to sew on for for several months. So that's one of those things where it kind of gives me pause. But yeah, those special pieces, I just really, I don't know why that hits me so hard. It's part of my personality is one of those um, people that likes to save the best for last. Mm -hmm. I don't like to wear my best this, and I don't like to use up my best lotion like my expensive lotion I don't use my expensive lotion even though I want to smell that way mm-hmm. that's why I bought it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't I don't use it up that's uh one of my personalities traits that I don't like that I'm getting and trying to make an active effort effort to overcome and um, look at things in a different way less of a scarcity kind of mindset and it makes no sense to think of my fabric stash as a scarce resource. Okay. Right. That's yeah. Just a oh, that's interesting thing, insight. So. I, I like that idea because a lot of us grew up that way that, you know, the special china for special occasions and yeah. don't sit in. I had a bunch of friends when I was growing up whose, whose mothers didn't let us go into the living rooms. You know, they were like museums. You don't use yeah. that. That's only, you know, so yeah. And I think people are trying to embrace a little more the idea of you only live once, live in the moment, enjoy what you have. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so that's good. I'm glad to hear that you're moving towards that. Yeah. So, but then I use that as guilt though, is what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to do this. And then I beat myself up because I'm not doing it in this way. So right. um, there's definitely a step that, in there that I need to, <laughs> I need to straighten that out. Right. Well, you know, this might be a good time to introduce our, our interview. I got a chance to speak with psychic sewer Kathleen. I think if anyone here has a blog or reads blogs or reads the comments on blogs, they probably have come across psychic sewer Kathleen. She's a prolific commenter. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, and of course, I was always curious, psychic sewer Kathleen. And I looked <laughs> on her blog and sure enough, she she has a psychic practice. And so I thought, perfect, let's, let's find out about this. But it, as it turns out, as you'll hear, Kathleen was also big into buying fabrics and having a big stash yes. and buying patterns. As I could tell from a lot of her comments, she would always comment, oh, this isn't one I've seen. I'm going to have to go get that pattern. So oh, yeah. she talks a lot about the stash too. So let's go to that now. Yeah, let's hear from her. I guess I'll start by asking you to, to tell me about your blog name, Psychic Sewer Kathleen. Well, you know, I've been a practicing, um, so-called practicing psychic 
I probably started in around 1975. And 2003 was when I started actually doing it so-called professionally, which means I was relying on it for an income. Before that, it was, you know, just very part-time and um, having fun. I do lectures for the library on women and psychic ability. And my background is um, I have an MA from Laurier in uh, religion and culture. Mm. And um, and so, but, you know, most of my background, truthfully, is in counseling. So I've done a lot of counseling. I have a private counseling practice when we lived here before. Um, so certainly counseling is, is a part of that as well. But um, psychic, uh, the whole thing around psychic actually has been in my life since I was about 12. And my cousin and I were playing chess. He was about eight at the time. And he said... Um, you're reading my mind that's cheating. And I said, well, you do it too. He said, no, I don't. I don't do that. And I said, yeah, you do. I thought everybody did that. I, I, it never occurred to me that that wasn't something everybody did all the time. So uh, that kind of surprised me. And I went to my mother and um, asked her about that. And she said, yeah, I know you can do that. And she said, but I wouldn't tell anybody, but it makes people really uncomfortable. Hmm. <laughs> that, I said, but you do it, right? She said, no, I can't do that. So that was my revelation, I think, and when I understood that, wow, really? Like, I've been doing that forever. I can remember being in my crib and standing at the crib looking at my parents sleeping in the bed next to me and willing my father to get up. And I know I didn't make a sound because I didn't want to wake up my mother because she was very crabby. <laughs> so I was really focusing on my father and he would. He'd get up, come up and pick me up and cuddle me and put me back in my crib again. I wow. could make him do that. So, yeah, I think, but what I really believe honestly is that everybody can. But I think most people have a barrier about that. So they'll say, you know, that it, it's just a feeling I have or, you know, they'll discount it. They right. won't act on it and, they, and they'll have to, you know, keep checking it. And if you keep doubting it, it's like anything. If you're not sure your legs are going to, you know, hold you up, you're not going to rely on them. You're right. going to use canes and supports and, you know, you won't do it. Huh. Yeah. Fascinating. Wait, so I have to just rewind here for a moment to go back to you willing your father to get up. So I'm thinking about like sewing applications for this. And so can you will your partner to like wait for you in fabric stores for hours on end? Is that, can you use it that way? <laughs> He's actually amazingly patient. <laughs> Although now, he actually, when I was away for three weeks, you'll never believe what he did. I was so freaked out when he, I found out. He got into my all my stash everywhere, all, all my, my patterns and my fabric and everything. And he pulled it all out because he said that is a fire hazard. A fire hazard. <laughs> so, so I love it. Took it. He took it all out, every bit of it, and he put it in a different spot. And he said to me, when I got home, he said, do you have any idea how much fabric and patterns you have? He said, there's no way you're going to live long enough to use all that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's that phrase? Um, uh, something about stash, uh, stash beyond life expectancy. 
Yeah. It's like an acronym. (laughs) And part of it was I was picking up fabric in thrift stores and Value Village and places like that to practice, you know, for practice runs, right? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what you'd find in these um, thrift stores. I mean, probably because people have been stashing for years and they'll just take great big, you know, (laughs) loads of it and off it goes. Yep. Yeah, And you can go into thrift stores and find amazing deals. And so that's what I did. And that's really how it got really out of hand. That's right. what I think anyway. Okay. So how do you manage it now? I took all of that uh, and I've, I'm still working my way through it, but I've gone through a good 70% of it and given it all back to the thrift stores. All of it. Wow. And so now all I have is just new fabric, just new fabric that I've bought. And, and it's looking a lot more sane, I have to say. Um, not, but it's still, I mean, I could probably easily go two or three years without buying any fabric. Because I, I only sew probably typically one garment a month. That would be max for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't need that many clothes for one thing, and it's it's the time frame. So, and I you know you know poke poke along with it. It's not like I'm in a big rush to get a new outfit or you know. So I would say one a month. So that means maybe fifteen say loads of you know two or three yards, and I usually buy it in three. Mm-hmm. So usually are three meters. So. At that rate, yeah, I've probably got a good three years ahead. So there'll be no more buying. And I swear. You've sworn off buying. I remember seeing you mentioning that somewhere. And has it been difficult? I mean, I think that you and I share the characteristic of kind of seeing a shiny new thing. And we're like magpies. Like, wow, that's beautiful. I think I have to have that, right? I don't, you know, I'll pitch, you know what the problem was too? I, you know, I started, I started sewing, of course, in home ec and I was, you know, like everybody else, right? About 12 years old. And it was the part of home ec I loved the most was sewing. I adored it. And we had a terrible home ec teacher. She was a very scary person. She used to slap girls. Oh. I mean, it's hard to even imagine that you could get away with that in those days. But yeah, she, she used to slap us around and yeah. She was a very scary person. Oh boy. <laughs> um, so, but I love sewing, and uh, and but my mother didn't sew. Nobody in my family sewed, and so my mother thought it was a really crazy thing. She said, "I, why do you want to sew your own clothes? I mean, you can go to the store and buy them, and they look ten times better. You know, you, you're going to start making your own clothes. They're going to look homemade." Like you look poor and homemade. That's no good. <laughs> so um, I didn't care. But it set a bar for me, which was good. It meant that if I was going to make something, it had to pass her inspection. Yes, yes. And if she, if she looked at it and said, you made that? Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the medals? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, I sewed into my early 20s, but then I had a machine that broke, and I was in university, and it just disappeared. You know, it just went by the wayside. And then when I was um, coming up to my 60th birthday, my husband said, you know, you always said you really love sewing. Why don't we bring that back for you? And mm. I thought, mm, that's a great idea. So, of course, that sort of led me down a crazy careening path of accumulation. <laughs> Little did he know what a fire hazard he was about to create. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So now, yeah, I'm rolling it back to, and it actually feels really good. I mean, I, I don't know, I, other women, I'm sure, and you probably do too, it's, it's so easy to get really overwhelmed with things in yes. the sewing world. Yes. I mean, it's not just fabric, but it's everything. It's your threads. It's your, you know, it, it actually, I mean, if anybody was going into sewing, I would say to them, brace yourself. This hobby is going to take up a fair bit of space in your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no, definitely an you- issue. Absolutely. And also yeah. in your mind too. I mean, we've talked about this before uh, on this podcast and I've seen it being written about elsewhere and discussed the idea of, uh, you know, your, your stash or your supplies getting overwhelming and kind of creating anxiety. And, yeah. and I often go through these peaks and valleys of kind of feeling overwhelmed by all of it and, uh, and anxious and I have to organize this and this is crazy and I have to stop buying and then, you know, yeah. and then feeling like really good about having these things available to me and my, you know, to just shop my stash and pick something out. So it's an interesting kind of push pull, a bit of a conflict about the fabrics we love and the materials we love and the patterns we want to have and just being able to kind of recognize when enough is enough and kind of back off for a while so yeah yeah it was it was quite an experience I had no idea that it would would crawl all over the place all over the apartment and and we do live in an apartment we have a two-bedroom with den it's a fair-sized apartment but even so it still has what I feel badly about is that it's encroached on my husband's space which Mm -hmm. is not fair you know, he's he's got his rights too. You know, to space and and uh, clear areas and you know, like it's and I feel very guilty about that actually. So that's why I know I won't I won't do that again because I I really have um, taken more than my fair share of space. Mm. You know. And how about patterns? You buy a lot of patterns too, I presume. And you know, that's what I was going to say. See, for so long, I just bought clothes. And so when I started sewing, I was still in that kind of mindset where, oh, I like that dress, I'm going to buy it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Or I like that pair of pants, I'll, I'll buy that pair of pants. It, when I, you know, sort of shifted over to sewing my own clothes, I'd see it on, on a blog, for example, and I think I like that top. I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. So of course I buy the pattern, and then I would get some fabric. But you know, I already had like 50 patterns and 50 fabrics. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I it's absolutely know that what you mean. Lag space. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's you the buy leap. a pattern and a piece of fabric, but it's going to be a month before you actually have that. Top. Exactly, if you ever have it at all, right? Because because we have the yeah. best intentions of sewing it up. And that is really insightful because I have had that feeling as well where it's really different than just clicking order on Amazon yeah. or something and then it shows yeah. up. It's sort of like, but you still have that same almost mental idea about it. Like if I buy that pattern, then I will have that article of clothing. But no, that's not how it works, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. I've definitely struggled with that myself. Yeah. And that's what that's my theory is I think that's how it went so extreme is because I yeah, I was impulse buying and just thinking, I love the way that looks and I wanna make that too. So mm. off I go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, forgetting that, oh my God, I've got projects here for years. Yeah. Right. So, so was I, it hard I, for I, you to uh, to get rid of the the stash? You said you've cleared out seventy percent of it. Did did you have weird feelings about that? I got rid of a hundred percent of all that I had bought in thrift stores. Ah, 
and some others. Some others where there were packages of, say, you know, half a yard left over or there were, you know, pieces that you could have put aside thinking, oh, this make nice bias tape. Right. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Yes. <laughs> Bye-bye. That's so all you, gone, you, all you felt good about getting rid of it? I feel relieved because, to be honest, Lori, I, it was causing me anxiety. It was. Mm-hmm. I was feeling overwhelmed, and I felt guilty, and yeah, it was It was not a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, no, I feel totally good about it. I'm That's excited about it. And and now, you know, going through um, the, you know, the new stuff actually has re-inspired me, which I think probably happens to a lot of women, too. When you clear out the clutter, and you see actually those really pretty pieces that you do have, it's like, I can't wait to make this. So it's actually re-inspired me again, rather than uh, made me depressed or, you know, like badly. I I needed, yeah, I needed to do it. So I would, my advice, I guess, to any new sewist is that really think about what do you really want? And what pattern might you make more than once too? Because some of those patterns are quite expensive, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so. And eventually as you go along in your sewing journey and get better at sewing and recognizing basic shapes, you, you realize that you can take one pattern that has like, for example, a basic raglan sweatshirt type thing, and you can modify it. You can put a mock neck or a turtleneck or shorten length in the sleeves, add a different waistband, those kinds of things. And you don't have to always have the specific pattern that has that exact design Peace. to it. Yeah. 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 Well, Kathleen, you've actually really inspired me. I feel like I can go downstairs to my cupboard full of, of fabric <laughs> and maybe pull some stuff out of there and get rid of the clutter, as you say. I think that's a really good idea because I, I struggle between the idea of, well, you know, maybe I can make something out of this one day and it would be a shame not to have it if I, you know, if I eventually did. But I think, you know, you're right. I think, I think sort of minimalizing a little bit. And I guess that's, yeah. is, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, you know, I don't want anyone to feel who, you know, who has a big stash that they love, that they should be get, getting rid of it if that's not what's in their heart. But yeah, that's, it's, if they've got the space, you know, some people actually have a whole room that's dedicated to their sewing. And so, maybe, you know, maybe they've got lots of space to, to put a stash. But I don't have dedicated space for sewing. I mean, my sewing room is in our living room. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, you know, I don't have a room for that. And that means, yeah, you have to be mindful that you, as a partner, may be invading your partner's yes. space, right? It, it makes me think that we should have some kind of special award for f- for family members of sewers who sew on the that. dining room table, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's 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 good when when they'll put up with that. I want to actually go back to um let's talk to psychic Kathleen because you know, you were when you're describing, I've been a professional psychic and I earn a living and, and it's almost blasé. And inside I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you're a psychic. That's amazing. So uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit more about, like, I'm so fascinated. How does it work? Like what, uh, so you're doing this professionally. What, what does that entail? What does it look like? You do readings for people. What sort of things can you help people with? Like, tell me all about it. 
Well, um, I have a full practice. I have probably about 5,000 clients worldwide. Um, you know, pe- people can come and see me in person um, or over the phone or Skype or, you know, whatever their preference is. I encourage people to come to me with um, a direction, I want to say, like a theme, I'll call it. So is this about your health? Is really your relationship? Relationships, to be honest, probably comprise about 95% of my practice. Right, yeah. And that's not surprising. But it's kind of fun. I mean, you know, I don't mind that at all. Um, I consider myself a bit of a relationship specialist. (laughs) Um, And then there's other questions, though. Certainly people ask me about their their health. Um, They may have just been diagnosed with cancer, and they want to know, is this like? Am I going to survive this? Mm-hmm. What's what's this? What's this journey going to look like for me? Um, how much or, are you able to tell them? Like, do you actually know the answers to that, or how? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So um, that that might be a question. Another qu- family question, certainly. You know, our family is having problems. You know, do you see this getting resolved? My my sister and I are estranged. Will that ever get better? You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Family. Mm-hmm. Um, is there another- ever anything that comes up that you kind of it's would be really uncomfortable to tell that person? Here's removing a curse. Oh. <laughs> People ask me if um, uh, to remove a curse. They'll say, I feel cursed. And they may have talked to another psychic online or somebody who has told them that, that they're cursed. And so um, they'll contact me to remove the curse. And I say, no, I don't do that. First of all, there's no such thing as a curse. Uh-huh. There's a, there really isn't. I mean, unless you believe it. Right. If I if say you I curse it, you, and, you and Lori thinks, yeah, I'm cursed now. Well, you know, everything that happens in your life, you're going to interpret through that lens, right? right. So um, I that's what I tell people right away. No such, we don't boss spirit around. <laughs> like I can't tell spirit, go and sick on that person. <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. So, I'm, I'm curious, what does a reading entail. I think that I read on your website that you use tarot cards. Is that how, is that your method basically? So how does that work for someone who might not be familiar with that? Well, um, you would ask me, we would start with your question. So you'd say, let's say, um, you know, there's some shifts going on at work. I'm wondering where that's going for me Mm -hmm. or if I should start looking around for another job. You know, that would be a typical question. So then I draw a card and it comes up the Ten of Pentacles. So the Ten of Pentacles is the family inheritance card. So what this and a lot of money. Mm. So the first question I would say is, does your job pay you a lot of money? And do you feel like there's like the people that you're working with, are you like a big happy family or a big miserable family or, you know, what are the sort of dynamics that are going on there at work? Or is there your own personal family issues that seems to be happening around you? Because that would tell me if they're doing some projection. So you see, some of it is cards, but some of it is psychology. Of course, I'm trained um, mm-hmm. in psychology and counseling. Um, so it's it's an interactive process. Now, some people will say, uh, you know, I used to read at the Royal York, right? That was um, one of my venues. One of I the was, big, uh, the Royal York Hotel here in Toronto, a big famous, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was there. And of course, um, 
I had uh, I would do high tea there on Thursdays, so people could book a reading in high tea. And um, so I had two women, a mother and daughter uh, team come, and they, uh, the mom, she decided to be, you know, like one of those people that takes their wedding ring and sticks it in their pocket so the psychic doesn't know they're married. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, she was one of those. So she decided to sit across from me. She said not a word. And so I just did the I said, that's okay. You don't have to say anything. And then I did the reading. And um, and then the daughter, uh, she was second, and she was very interactive with me and chatty and talking about different things that were going on in her life and which what she wanted to know. That interactivity, of course, gives me an opportunity to connect. It, you know, I can't, if you're just a wall, a blank wall in front of me, yeah, I might hit some some points, but I'm not going to get them all. And I, there's a good chance I may not hit even the ones that you care about. Mm. So I encourage people to, yeah, be interactive with me. You know, the more you're interactive with me, the more um, value you'll get for for your experience. That's what I feel anyway. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So is there are there ways in which your psychic practice intersects with your sewing hobby? I mean, do you well, ever I, I'm thinking if I had psychic abilities, I'd walk into a fabric store and say, okay, psychic abilities, tell me which piece of fabric is actually going to work with this pattern. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I've noticed, I've noticed one thing uh, that it does is, you know, people are always talking about matching um, patterns, you know, matching them up, like matching up your patterns or your checks or, you know, to li line them all up. Uh-huh. Yes. I never have to do that. I, it always comes out right. Oh, come like, on. That's I know, amazing. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and people will say, how did you do that matching? I honestly did not plan it at all. It just came out. Well, so lucky how, you. So That's there's amazing. A level, there's kind of some level uh, within me that can sort of see that. I'm not sure why that is. It's really odd, but I, I've noticed that. So when people are talking about all this very careful matching, going down the sides and, or, you know, doubling their patterns, so long, I don't get that. I never have that issue. Amazing. So that's one way that it does it kind of works for ah. me. My sewing, though, truly is the complete opposite to my work. Mm -hmm. As it is and for many of us, why, right? It's, it's the would, antidote, yeah. right? Absolutely yeah. a counterbalance to the way my work is. So m I see more of that rather than, you know, how would my psychic ability... Um, I guess... It may, for example, tell me how a group is going to go or how a class is going to go, whether I'm going to like it or not. Okay. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I'd listen to that. And again, that's, I think, one of those things where I listen to those intuitions, maybe more so than most people, mm. you know? Mm. If something doesn't feel right, I won't do it. That you know? makes sense. Yeah. What's on your sewing table these days? You got any plans for like the sewing for the upcoming season or? I have a pair of pants. Uh, it's a, a Vogue pattern by um, Sandra Batsina that's gone out of print. And um, and Sandra Batsina's uh, pant uh, patterns are wonderful, by the way. She follows a bird a block. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's easier to get her pants to fit. And, and she will design pants specifically for fitting 
So they're good. And so I have this pair um, that I really like. It's got um, a yoke on the top and the back. And then from there, they sort of drop down into loose pants. They're mm-hmm. sort of a loose. And actually, it's funny because the pattern's out of print, and yet it's very much in style right now. Nice. So that's like one of those things that really went around and came back again. Right. And so I want to make those yokes actually out of knit, although the, does, the pattern doesn't call for it. But I want to make those yokes out of knit and then make um, the the loose part of the pant maybe a nice uh, drapey rayon. Oh, that sounds lovely. What a great idea. I have similar pants that I bought ready to wear and uh, it's so nice to have a waistband that yes. uh, <laughs> gives you it a little room for eating. There. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Kathleen, it's so lovely to meet you over the podcast. It's really a pleasure to hear more about you know what you sew and, and what you do for a living. It's really fascinating. So thanks a lot for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. It's been a joy. <laughs> Wonderful. That was a great interview from Kathleen. I have always wondered about her because she does comment on my blog often, and she's just so warm through her words, and I knew she would be a good interview, so it was great to hear from her, and man, is she interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, and she, she was just delightful to talk to, as, as you could hear there, so that's mm-hmm. great. So, speaking of stashes, correct. (laughs) Why don't you confess and give us a deep dive into your stash? Like, what do you, how do you sort it? How do you store it? How do you keep a handle on, on it? Right. Okay. Well, this is where I wish I had some great wisdom to impart. (laughs) But embarrassingly, I don't. I mean, I've gone as far as I have a couple of sort of pantry style closety things that are in my basement. Uh, with shelving on it. And so I fold up my fabrics and place them on the shelves. Uh, And it seems that every few months it becomes a total disaster. So I need like a big clean out where I pull everything out and refold it and resort it. And so I seem to take a different approach every time I do that in terms of, uh, okay, I'll put all the knits together here and I'll put all the wovens over here and then I'll sort this and that. But then I change my mind again the next time I pull it all out and do it. So I don't really have a system of categorization, but I know that some folks out there, if, uh, you know, a little, little Google search among the sewing community, what other people do it seems like um sometimes people will sort their fabrics by color have you ever done that um yeah I have in the fabrics that are on display because that just pleases my eye you know Mm. in making it look less busy so I have done that Right. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense if you're a quilter, because obviously that's you're going for the the coordinated color schemes. And there's also something about quilting cottons, which are so easy to fold up and keep neat, whereas other Mm -hmm. types of fabrics are difficult. So I don't know if sorting by color necessarily is great for the garment sewer who wants to kind of look in her stash and be inspired by something. But yeah, Yeah. I I like your idea of the ones that are on display because they make you happy that there's a beautiful sort of aesthetic scheme to it. Mm I've seen that other people might try to sort by type of fabric, like the substrate, like maybe here are all the linens and here are all the rayons and and so on and so forth. That's smart. I think that's a really good idea because if you're starting from pattern, you know, you're starting and you need to find a jersey or you need to find a linen for that pattern, then you know straight where to go. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And then you can 
I guess maybe one of the things is you could fall down a rabbit hole with that. So do you go as far as, well, this is linen and that's cotton linen blend. And then this is rayon and then this is, you know, viscose. And then this is, you know, something else. And, and so there might be too many different piles depending on how deep you want to go. Um, I've also seen people sort by weight. So top weight, so anything that would be appropriate for making a blouse or a t-shirt would be sort of in one area. Uh, bottom weights would be in another category and outerwear might be in another category. So those are three sort of broad categories, which I think for me make a lot of sense. And then within, say, the top weights, you could then sort, say, wovens from, from knits. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, that kind of t- almost top level type of sorting without going too far down the rabbit hole, I think would work quite well. <laughs> I'm speaking theoretically because I haven't yeah. tried that approach yet, but I think I might try that one. Well, that's actually what I do uh, to a degree. So the way I have my fabric sorted is I have um, I have a shelf of those. The shelf isn't sorted so much as, well, I guess it is. It's got... Um, four shelves and the top shelf is outerwear second shelf is knits the third shelf is like blouse weight and then the fourth shelf is bottom weights Um, but those are the the way you get on the shelf there the way you earn your spot on the shelf is just be one of my favorite fabrics that I want to see often the open shelf yeah Mm. yeah yeah the open shelf um but in addition I certainly can't keep all my fabric stash on just four shelves let me tell you um I so where have. else is it? Okay, yeah, go. <laughs> Dish, girlfriend. Let's hear all about it. So I have this big IKEA table, and underneath the table is it's like a counter height table, so it has room for like these buckets underneath. Like I think the mm-hmm. buckets that you were talking about um, <laughs> that we could use as a mattress, or we could put them under my yes. my table. Um, and those are sorted in a similar way in blouse weight, bottom weight, but actually what I, because I source a lot of my fabric from the the swap meet or kind of like catch as catch can kind of the special pieces that I- Wait, tell us about the swap meet for those who, who've never heard of this before. Oh, there's this amazing place. It's my favorite <laughs> place on the earth. It's in San Diego. Um, it's called the National City Swap Meets. And, um, you know, everyone knows about the LA Garment District and how amazing that is. Well, some of the offcuts and extra pieces and like samples that they give to um, designers and they give to whoever they're um, giving the, trying to sell the fabric to, they will, I guess, offload this onto these other people. Those people bring them to the National City Swap Meet. They put them all in a big pile and it's a dollar a yard and you can find sometimes two dollars a yard if it's good stuff. Uh, you can find the most just amazing things there. I have found the softest French terry. I found silk cottons. I found like embroidered things that would be fifty dollars a yard. Wow! It is. It's very much digging through crap. I mean. When you, if you walked through there and you didn't dig through the piles, you would see that a lot of the fabric is very cheap and you wouldn't want to put it on your body. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of poly. It's a lot of sparkly, scratchy stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but when you go through those piles, you can, and you know what you're looking for, right? You know what nice fabric feels like and looks like and responds to you. You can find some amazing things. So that's the fun. I mean, it's just the funnest because... 
you can't go there looking for anything necessarily unless you want double brush poly. They have they consistently have <laughs> a lot of that. that. Yeah. yeah. And they have some cool prints too. I like it. It's pretty fun for um, if you need a, a like a big dress or whatever. That's where I got all my fabric for my Marie Antoinette uh, costume because it was just, I don't know how many yards that took. It was like 20 yards or whatever. Oh my goodness. So, and we will yeah. definitely link to that in the show notes because that was stunning. Thank you. That was <laughs> one of the funnest things. I saying to you, I hope you're going to wear this to the grocery store because this should be seen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was amazing. I should. Why aren't I wearing that to the grocery store? <laughs> All right, so because you get a lot of your fabric from this, uh, the city swap meet. Yeah, um, there is, you just get what you get. You get a yard, mm-hmm. you get two yards, you get two and a half yards. And so the way I sort my fabric is I have a, um, I have a dress bucket. So that means that it's a dress weight fabric that's opaque enough to wear on the bottom, um, that's drapey enough to wear as a dress, and is, like I have a, wo- I guess I have a woven um, dress weight uh, bucket and I have enough yardage to make a dress out of it. So it has to be like two yards or more. Um, and then I have a bottom weight and then, yeah, it has to be enough. So that's, I have to factor in cause I, when I go to the store, I usually buy two yards. That's kind of my standard and that will kind of cover, Mm -hmm. yeah, cover most things unless it's, I know it's just going to be a top and then I get one yard. But, um, but these things, because I don't always know how much I'm going to have, I have it sorted so that if I have a pattern, and this is usually how it goes, is I get excited about a pattern, then I know which bucket to look at. I have got a tops, um, and those are smaller pieces that are lightweight, and maybe those are not, they might be um, translucent, you know, something that, Mm -hmm. you know, you would be able to wear on the top if you had like a camisole or, you know, your bra was (laughs) was an okay looking bra. (laughs) Or whatever. Is that where your silk chiffon resides? I know when we've been fabric shopping together, you keep you go straight for the silk chiffon, and you're like, "Why am I looking at this? It's not like I need any (laughs) more." Because I have so So much. So I know you've got quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I have. I have um, that. I one time I don't remember where I got this, which is heartbreaking. But I have a whole roll, probably at the swap meet. I got a whole roll of beige rayon that I can use as lining. for all my silk chiffons mm-hmm. <laughs> or any of those uh, less opaque fabrics that I've got in my tops bucket. And then I have a bucket for, I actually have a whole bucket for pajamas, that I, fabric oh that I'm, yeah, I'm planning. I never make pajamas. I've only made one, I think. But I've made man, one I have too. plans. Yeah, we did it for PR weekend. Yeah, that's right. And it's a funny thing because I'm attracted to, a, a, like, there's obviously the closet case, um, Caroline yes. pajamas, which everyone loves, and I have that pattern in my stash, and I've got some fabric for it. But I was thinking about pajamas and how much wear and tear they take, because, you know, you wear the heck out of them. You wear them yeah. more often than any other piece of clothing in your wardrobe. You're mm-hmm. rolling around, sleeping in the sheets with them, so they're getting, you know, pilly, and they go through the wash constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking, you know, do I really want to bother making pajamas anymore? Like, is that just something I should just go get ready to wear and wear the heck out of them and not be too concerned when they pill up or fall apart? Do you know what I mean? So, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've definitely thought about that too, because, um, obviously I haven't made, made any of them. <laughs> like, I, haven't, I haven't followed through on all these fancy plans. And then, yeah, I have a bucket of, um, athletic fabric. Okay, so, so let me ask you this. Sorry, go on. 
No, that that's just one of those things that when I find good athletic fabric, I jump on it because it's so hard to find. Yeah. And then I, I stick it in this this bucket. So let me ask you about the buckets, because I have had buckets and bins before too, where I've just kind of thrown some folded up that's a bad idea to stack it at in, like folded flat inside the bucket because yeah. I find even if they're translucent or transparent at the side, you can kind of look in. But I find the act of rooting in there to pull something out always messes everything else up. So, uh, do you do you roll yours up so that they're I sort do. of stacked vertically? Brilliant, yeah, smart, especially lady. for those bigger pieces. <laughs> for the for the the smaller pieces for my tops, that's just kind of um, in there. And actually, it's kind of good for tops because then I can see how wrinkly things are going to get and Uh. then I pick my patterns in you know with that in mind because do I want to iron this or if I have to iron this I need to make a pattern up that's easy to iron you know what I mean like I don't want to make something with a bunch of gathers and then it's like this really yeah wrinkly fabric and then how am I supposed to iron out these gathers and it's just a whole thing so I use that kind of as experimental that's <laughs> Experiment. a great reason to throw some fabric into a bin and not worry about it. I love it. There's a good reason for doing it that way. <laughs> yeah. And I root, I root around in that, that bucket a lot too, because it's right. the smaller pieces. So it's fun, but that's not all I have. That's kind of the joke of it is I, it's spilled out into my other closet where I have things piled on shelves. Um, I have things um, in the bathroom. I have uh, Elena, are you going bathroom? to be asking your family to move out of the house sometime soon? Is, that, is this what's I happening know. here? Do we need an intervention? Maybe. <laughs> well, the, the joke of it is, I know Kathleen was mentioning that we've got our long-suffering partners, and um, and it's not fair to her partner that she has so much as encroaching on his space. But my husband was smart, and he bought a house with a an entire, I mean, it's, like an entire half of the downstairs is my sewing room. It's supposed to be uh, like a mother-in-law kind of suite. So it's got oh, a bathroom attached a and stuff. Sewing suite, but, yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. And so he was he was uh, smart in that way. I have to give him credit, and I never encroach on his space because if I can't keep it within the this room, Lori, that's when things that's have when to you need really an intervention. Yes, yes. <laughs> Totally, totally. Well, we probably shouldn't wrap up um, a a chat about stashes without also chatting a bit about pattern stashes because those can get a bit unruly too. Yeah. So there's always the sort of, um, you know, you buy pre-printed paper patterns and they're usually Mm -hmm. a certain size, so they're pretty easy to file. And um, I tend to just kind of organize them by by garment categories. So, you know, tops or blouses, dresses, pants, that sort of thing. Um, But then, of course, there's now all the indie patterns and they might have slightly different sizes. Or as I'm doing, I do a lot of PDF downloads. So when once I've printed it out and used the pattern, I end up kind of folding the pieces up and putting it into a manila envelope. And those are well, I guess, yeah, they're they're fairly easy to store as well, but I haven't really organized them into a system. I should. They're sort of just in the order that I've sewn them in one of these days because <laughs> they're accumulating like rabbits in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely need to organize those. But then there's also with the PDFs, how do you store the actual digital patterns? Do you buy a lot of PDF patterns? I don't buy a ton because I know mm. that I'm not going to want to stick the pattern together. Like right, that's, that's just like your your barrier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I understand that. A lot of people are like, will not tape patterns together. I will if I love the pattern, though. It, it, it does happen. And there's some that only are available that way, right? Like style yeah. art patterns, you just have to stick them together. So I, I will do it. But um, yeah, but I mean, over the years, I've certainly acquired many, many, many. And so I have had to deal with that. And I had a scare where I my old desktop computer was is not feeling healthy anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, 10 years old. And I was like, oh my gosh, there is hundreds of dollars worth of PDF patterns on there. So I did have to um, go through and start a Dropbox for that. And um, now that I moved to a Mac, it's a bit easier because Mac, you know, kind of backs up everything onto the cloud anyway. Do you yeah. have like a Dropbox that you keep yours in? Yeah, I use Google Drive, um, okay. a similar kind of idea. But I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's really important for people who do buy the digital patterns to remember that if you're just keeping them on your local hard drive, you know, if that fries or gets stolen out of your home or whatever happens to yeah, it, right? it's yeah. a really good idea to have it backed up on a second drive or stored in, in the cloud, so to speak. So Dropbox or Google Drive. So I think that's really good, really good advice. Yeah. Also, I've read that a lot of sewers will use tools like Pinterest or Evernote, for example, to kind of keep track of their patterns or even their stashes where they'll take photographs um, of or, you know, copy the, the, the pattern envelope image and then sort that so they can kind of digitally look through their catalog. And I think that depends on whether you're more, because I really like kind of crawling through my patterns with my fingers and looking yeah. at them. But then that also becomes a mess, right? Because I end up pulling yes. my boxes of patterns that uh-huh. I, they go all over the floor and then who knows when I'll put them away again. So I can see the appeal of having a digital catalog of the patterns that you have available too. Do you use any kind of tools like that? No, I don't. But I love the idea because um, then you could see your PDF at the same time as you could see your paper patterns, right? That's mm-hmm. where I run into trouble is I'll be looking for a dress pattern and then I um, pull out all my big four or whatever, my printed or um, envelope patterns, but I'm completely forgetting about all those dress patterns that I have uh, you know, on my computer because I need the visual of the front. So I, it, right. it would be super smart to have it on a trello board or something like that a pinterest board i could see like if it's all lined up so nicely in squares that would be very Mm -hmm. pleasing it would be pleasing there is actually there are a couple of uh, stash fabric and pattern stash apps like specifically for sewing i want to say one is called cora yeah Mm, i I actually tested cora Mm -hmm. is that still going yeah it is and i used it um it's just that I haven't inputted everything because I have so much. And so there is yeah. a bit of, yeah, there is a bit of overwhelm there. Yeah. Like, okay, if I'm going to go with this system, I have to do all this work to get it into that system. Yeah. And sometimes that's a bit much, right? But I do yeah. have, I have a bit uh, of, I went on a little bender and I did get quite a bit um, added in. And it is really cool when you are in a boring place. Like, of course, my go-to is just to look at Instagram, but we've discussed so much that more um, inspiration is not what we need at this point. Yes. Like, stop yes. inputting. <laughs> I don't need to know. But when you're looking at your stash, you're getting inspiration that is really valuable. Like, yes. I can shop my stash while I'm just bored at the bank or whatever and um, get new ideas and 
just being out in the world with your fabric stash puts it in a different context because I'm just looking at my fabric stash here in my room always kind of it's very habituated what I'm doing and thinking and like living living it in in this room but being out in the world with your fabric stash you're like oh wait I can can think about things differently so different perspective yeah oh Mm -hmm. that's a great point yeah instead of scrolling through Instagram scroll through your own stash it's very practical because the idea you come up with can be executed right away yep nice and and Cora is a good I, I really like their interface so I do recommend them Oh, might give it a try. One thing I'm trying to get around to doing is, uh, as you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Berta style magazines and, and their designs. So I have a bunch, not overwhelming, but it's still, you know, I, I struggled with, well, how do I know what's in all the magazines, yeah. you know? And yes. so sometimes I'll just pull them all out and start thumbing through, but then Me you too. totally go down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it may have been Hilla. Hilla from Saturday Night Stitch, our joy correspondent, yes. uh, who mentioned that she, what she does is she scans or photographs the page that has all the line drawings of all of the patterns and then uh-huh. adds that as a PDF to like a, her, her digital stash kind of thing. So you can actually just browse by the line drawings of all of the patterns, which I think is, is a really great idea. So one of these days, I'm going to get my little, my little scanner out and sit down while I'm watching reruns of Mad Men on Netflix. Oh my God, I've gone down that rabbit hole uh, and just start scanning those. And so that'll be like an easier way to browse them digitally and just know what you have in all those magazines. I didn't even think of that, and I totally ignore those mostly. I usually ignore them because once I open one, I've opened 10. And then right. there's 10 Berta magazines all around me. And, and your uh, brain is scrambled and you're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but wait, I have this other fabric. And then, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's. I know that feeling, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It's a fun, creative feeling. I mean, I love the planning, you know, is, is one of my favorite parts much more than the execution, but, <laughs> but it, it can get overwhelming after yeah. a while. Yeah. All right. So speaking of the wisdom of Hila Willing yes. from Saturday Night Stitch, she's back again for her second installment as our joy correspondent. So happy to have her with us on Clothes Making Mavens. So let's hear what's bringing Hila joy in the sewing community. Awesome. Hi guys, this is Hila Willing here, your joy correspondent on the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. So for this second post of mine, I wanted to talk about the joy of mending your clothes. I'm a seamstress, and in the past, I've always been incredibly resentful of people who have asked me to mend their clothes. In fact, my go-to line had always been, darling, you can't possibly afford my hourly rate. (laughs) But lately, as I have reached my fifth year of sewing, I have found that some of my garments that I made five years ago, they are starting to show their wear just a little bit. There's frayed cuffs and ripped buttonholes and buttons that have come off. And the pile of things that have to be repaired has been increasing. So recently I decided that I was going to tackle it because... Even though we live in a consumer consumption-driven world, I thought it would be a good idea for me to try something a little bit different and actually mend stuff. Now, for those of you who know me, you will know I love the flamboyant, bright and bold colors. And the idea of mending was just like, oh, can I just make another one? Can I just go out and buy some more fabric? But I decided to do some research 
and oh my gosh let me tell you guys there is a plethora of a beautiful designer like mending artists out there so i saw that there are people who do this thing called visible mending and my mind was blown because when I grew up, the point of mending was to try and hide the fact that your garment was old and tattered. You were trying to keep it looking new. But here is this community, this sewing community, that's all about showing where your garment was ripped. But here's the thing. They mended in the most creative ways. And I just spent hours scrolling through the visible, the hashtag visible mending um, tag on Instagram and just finding all of these wonderful, amazing blogs by textile artists who show you how you can preserve and continue to use a garment. My mind was blown. And in particular, if you look at at Bib Professor, who is basically a retired professor, living in her old overalls on a small farmhouse in Denmark. And you will see the overalls that they have mended using an array of different types of embroidery and patchwork. And it's amazing. It's really quite beautiful. And obviously coveralls are made of denim. So if you look after denim, even if you don't, denim should last you decades. And you get a great example of that. By the way, the links will be in the show notes as well. And do go check out Bib Professor for some great innovative examples of visible mending and how joyful it can be to wear your mending with pride. Another mending aficionado who I came across and just I found utterly captivating is at Mind Your Menders. And Michelle has basically pledged to one year of buying no new clothes. And she started that on the 8th of May in 2019. Okay, now she doesn't actually sew her own clothes, but she's just decided she's not going to buy any new clothes. And so she's using mending and doing incredibly funky stuff with her old clothes to give them a facelift. And it's just amazing craw crawling through her feed and, of course, seeing all of these um, really interesting ways to revitalize your towels, even your bath towels. It had never, ever occurred to me that I could mend my bath towels. You know, it was just <laughs> such an interesting um, and fascinating aspect of a another sewing community to become aware of and she also uses crochet she incorporates crochet as a mending feature and there's this particularly amazing denim jacket which i think had ripped on the underarm seam and she's just used a simple treble crochet around both edges and it's it looks like a designer jacket, basically. It looks like something you'd expect to be walking down the Oscar de la Renta catwalk in Milan or in Paris or something like that. And also what I found quite fascinating was the use of sashiko in mending. I have made a top before, a Pauline Alice Kame blouse. 
using sashiko embroidery as a design feature. But I gotta say, seeing sashiko being used as a mending feature was quite amazing and it has opened up so many possibilities for me in terms of what I would like to do with some of my own clothes. So I experienced a moment of pure joy at the realization that mending doesn't have to apply to completed items. I have a UFO box of things that I started sewing and something went wrong and I just didn't have the energy to try and be creative with it. But after doing all this research on visible mending, I am like so incredibly excited about finding another way of making those projects work. And whether that's gonna be with patchwork or free motion embroidery or actually even learning embroidery. So one of the things that's on my to-do list for the rest of the year is to take an embroidery class. And I can't tell you how excited I am about that. So that was one of the things that has been giving me a lot of sewing related joy recently, this whole concept of visible mending. I also want to finish up this joy section today by mentioning Eva Bossenberger, and I really hope that I've pronounced that correctly, but Eva is 101 years old. And get this, she is still waking up between 3 and 4 a.m. in the morning, heads to her sewing machine, and she's on a mission to make 180 dresses for girls that would be packed in what's called an Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. And how amazing is that? I just felt so much joy at seeing this woman who is able to bless so many others using her talent of sewing. And she still uses her vintage sewing machine, which I think is a Singer 201K. And I was just, I couldn't stop watching this over and over again. And I was sending it to all of my friends and my family because she is such an inspirational person um, to, to look. And she also shares her story on this YouTube uh, video post, which the link is going to be in the show notes. And how amazing is that she has been sewing for decades and she is now sewing to help others that are less fortunate. And I think that's a joyful way of engaging in the craft of sewing. And it certainly made me think a lot more about how I can give back using my gift, my ability to sew. So do go check out that video. I promise you it is an amazing um, video. Thank you so much for listening in and I'll hand you back to Laurie and Helena. Thanks for that, Hila. And speaking of being inspired to do service sewing, like sewing that can benefit others, uh, we're hoping to discuss that in a future episode of Clothes Making Maven. So if you're listening and you've participated in that sort of thing and in, in doing sewing for charity or sewing overseas or training seamstresses, for example, why don't you drop us a line? And uh, if you haven't done that, well, you can just stay tuned for our next episode and have a listen. It's all right. Get some good ideas. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for the chat today, Helena. It's great to talk to you. 
I know it was so fun. I love talking fabric any chance I get. <laughs> okay, well, till next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. For more information and more episodes, visit clothesmakingmavens.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll find options for sending us an email, leaving a comment, or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com. Hope to hear from you soon, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.